dogs out. Off the hook. Carrying on offthehooksports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. Always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Welcome to the program with you for the next hour and a half. And it's Tennessee, Florida week or something like that. Kind of a big deal around here. We are loaded up. Off the Hook Sports' own Caleb Calhoun will join us a little bit later. His thoughts on Tennessee meeting with the media yesterday. And uh, also on the program will be visited by very special guest, Brandon Olson with Locked On Gators. I I just love these Locked On guys. They have so much insight, and it, it just is fantastic. And they always have their uh, technical issues worked out which is cool too. <laughs> so when you're doing what I do and what we do, Amanda, that's important. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Dave? I'm well. Uh, let's get to the down and dirty at 30 before we do talk some Gators. And I want to look back uh, quickly in yesterday. The one takeaway I have is that Josh Heifel seemed incredibly, incredibly confident, loose, and that's the exact opposite of what I saw when I covered Tennessee on a day-to-day basis as a beat reporter. And I, I go back to that one story where I asked Mondre Dickerson. I said, hey, um, what do you think of the Tennessee coaches in Florida Week? And he said they're too tight, and he was suspended for the rest of the year, not allowed to talk to the media. So, not suspended from games, but... I just really sensed a, a loose team that feels very confident going into this game, Amanda. That doesn't mean they're going to win, but it does mean that they feel really good about it, and I don't think the psychological advantage, which is something, I don't know how big of it is, how big it is, but it's not the most monstrous thing in the world if you go in there with a good, loose type of attitude, and I think Tennessee will do that. Yeah, I mean, I think a psychological advantage is definitely, I think it's a big thing. I think it. there's a lot of times where people, and we see all the time where schools or programs will say, okay, well, you know, we're looking ahead to a different game and then drop the ball, as we saw with Notre Dame and Marshall, as we saw with Texas A&M and App State. I mean, there's a lot of times where in Florida and USF, where people will drop the ball, you know, on those games. I mean, it's it's a psychological thing. Yep, absolutely. So uh, one other note that I found very interesting from yesterday's press conference is that Hendon Hooker doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So he doesn't throw interceptions, hasn't thrown one this year. And he said a lot of that is because of the fact that he was only allowed to throw the ball eight or nine times in high school. So a lot of his stat lines were eight of nine for you know, 200 yards and two touchdowns, but he really is intent on protecting the ball. You combine that with sometimes his lack of accuracy, and it, it seems to be an oxymoron, but it, it's really not. I mean, he, he, he throws to open spots. Does he miss the receiver? Sometimes he does. But the fact that he protects the ball is absolutely vital 
for any program, but especially in this sort of game. We've seen before where either side, I remember the wet ball game with Casey Clawson back in 2000, uh, I believe it was 2002, and uh, the fumbles ultimately um, prevented Tennessee from being able to win that game. I go back to the 98 game that Tennessee won, and Florida had two fumbles inside the five about to score against the balls. So turnovers can flip this. Tennessee is a double-digit favorite. But, man, if you turn the ball over, it's it's going to either get one-sided on Tennessee's behalf or Florida's going to be able to pull an upset, which would just absolutely be the most monstrous gut punch to a community I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, especially this year, everybody is so high on, you know, Tennessee. Everybody's so high on on what they've been able to accomplish so far, especially with that close win at Pitt and, and being able to really just, you know, finish a game. That's that's a new and different look for Tennessee. So with that being said, if this if they drop this, it's gonna be a it's gonna be more of a punch to the gut than it's ever been. Yep. And the guy who is going to tell us right now if there could be a punch to the gut is Brandon Olson now joins us. Brandon Olson with Locked on Gators and also a website that I was checking out that, Brandon, I want you to tell us more about for people that want to follow Florida. Tell us about what you've got going on because you sound like a busy young man. A little bit, a little busy, Uh, but yeah, Gators every Monday through Saturday now with Locked On Gators. We do draft stuff with whole nine sports. I cover the Giants with Sports Illustrated as well, but uh, yeah, yeah, a little little bit of busy season right now. The Giants, how how did you get tasked with that? Did you have an editor mad at you? Um, No, actually, she was like, you know what? The Giants are on the up and up. They're going to be in the playoffs again soon, so you want to cover them? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. I don't let my bias show when it comes to teams I cover, like Tennessee and and the SEC. I do let the SEC bias show a little bit. I think the SEC is by far the best conference, and you probably agree. But as a Cowboys fan, uh, who who needs the Giants? My my <laughs> my bias will shine through. But uh, if anybody wants to follow the Giants, uh, I've been looking through uh, Brandon's work or the Gators, especially. You need to go ahead and uh, get on board. So. Brandon, I'm curious about what the feel is in Gainesville because right now it's anticipation at Tennessee, but also a feeling of confidence that comes from the top. I mentioned that. I saw you were already on the chat. I don't know if you could hear me, but it comes from the top. Josh Heupel was incredibly loose yesterday. Don't know if you saw his press conference, but what is the feeling like in Gainesville and around Florida about the Tennessee-Florida game, especially the fact that they're now, I believe, 11-point underdog? Yeah, um, I don't like it. I'm, I'm not used to this situation of us going, oh, we're big underdogs to Tennessee. Uh, but but that's what it is. You know, the Florida Gators have played ugly, ugly football through three games now. It's terrible. The South Florida game was one of the – most miserable showings that I've seen from the Florida Gators in a while, just given the expectations where, you know, all offseason we heard a lot of Gators media going, Anthony Richardson's a Heisman a Heisman caliber player. Um, yeah. I will say, I'm, I'm struggling right now between going Anthony Richardson 
is struggling and that's unfortunate but i'm also struggling between taking a little bit of a victory lap because i've spent the past nine months telling people he's one of the most physically gifted human beings on the planet but he's also incredibly erratic he's inconsistent he's inaccurate he still struggles as a passer his ceiling about as high as they come but right now he's an incredibly raw football player and i feel like that's maybe the biggest shell shock for florida gators fans that for so long even before last season, they were getting Anthony Richardson's phenomenal shoveled down their throat, even though when he was on the bench, Samory Jones, which again was just Dan Mullen being Dan Mullen. But I, I think that's the biggest shell shock. They said, oh, he's he's got a lot of work to do, and Florida Gators fans were not ready for that yet. And I think that's the biggest shell shock so far with this season. Can you take me back before we really start to break this game down and when things started to go south with uh, Dan Mullen? 2020. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, it, it was pretty clear that Todd Grantham was not going to be able to lead a defense that was going to win the SEC and win playoff games and, and really be as great as they could have been. And Dan Mullen just loyal to a fault to Todd Grantham for some reason. Uh, and that ultimately led to it. After the 2020 season, a lot of Gators fans were saying Todd Grantham's got to go. And when that didn't happen, it was, well, Dan Mullen is going to run this team into the ground after a certain point. And 2021, we saw it come to fruition. Um, I've said this before, and not too much, but I've said it before where prior to the 2021 season, I was told, hey, players want Anthony Richardson. They want to play for Anthony Richardson. But Emory Jones is Dan Mullen's guy. And so Emory Jones is getting the start. I've said that I think uh, Dan Mullen would have been fantastic with Anthony Richardson had he not held him back at a certain point because, you know, Anthony Richardson had those first two insane games against FAU and USF. And then the play calling changed for him. When he would come in, it was no longer take these deep shots, run these options that get you wide. It was... We're going to run QB power. We're going to have you throw pitches. So I think Dan Mullen was kind of just like, I'm tired of hearing that you need to start Anthony Richardson chat. And he was like, I'm going to make him look a little worse and less explosive because I can't deal with this right now. And Dan Mullen pretty openly was like, I'm going to win the Alabama game. And that's the game I care about. Um, They didn't win the Alabama game. And things just kept crumbling there and it really just the LSU game was a backbreaker the LSU game we had Mahmoud Diabati who was an edge rusher turned off ball linebacker for some reason uh he came out after LSU ran all over Florida and in the postgame presser he's like we made the adjustments the coaches told us to make that's all I got for you and it was just like okay this is bad like like things are bad in Gainesville right now the fact that a, a player is just like we did what they told us to blame them um, so, so it started in 2020, it started simmering a little bit, and then starting Emory when the team wanted Anthony Richardson, focusing on the Bama game and nothing else, and then that didn't work out. It seems like Dan Mullen, I don't know if he had eyes on the NFL, I don't know what it was, but he he wasn't into it, and Florida kind of picked up on it at a certain point, and it, it just all crumbled, and it was one of those things where... I still think Dan Mullen's a fantastic play caller. I think he's a solid head coach. I'm not going to say he's not anymore. He just Things went bad. 
But um, it, it wasn't right for him to get his mail anymore. Here's my theory, and then I want to go to Amanda. By the way, hit that like and subscribe button, and please share, because we're going to continue to get great knowledge about the Gators from Brandon Olson. So uh, absolutely, we want you to uh, hit that like and subscribe button. So uh, the Brandon's appearance brought to you in part by the Mattress Place. The Mattress Place is uh, no gimmicks. It's 30 to 70% off each and every day. The Mattress Place is fantastic. Marine Corps veteran owned 22 years on Chapman Highway, which is a lot closer to downtown than you think close to campus as well so there you are the mattress place awesome okay so i have a theory that dan mullen showed up on campus and at some point and a, a, a former coach told me this not at florida but just through the grapevine realized that he still had to do he had to work really hard in recruiting even though you you know there's a lot of talent nearby there's a lot of competition in miami georgia florida state clemson and that that was a little befuddling. You know, Mississippi State, he developed players from okay to good, but to go out and win elite battles, he just wasn't prepared or equipped to do. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I do think that that one interview question that went viral of uh, him answering and saying, we'll talk about recruiting during recruiting season. I think that was just obviously blown out of proportion. He's clearly not saying we're not recruiting. He's clearly saying we'll talk about it in the off season. Like right now is the season. So we're going to talk about the game, but uh, yeah, recruiting was a battle that he was not prepared for. And I think the expectations being different is really what got to him. Cause at Mississippi state, like I said, like he could take okay and make him good. And you, you can kind of just take uh, <laughs> trickle down recruiting at that point. But then when you get to Gainesville, expectations are different. I mean, Billy Napier felt those immediately. He was the head coach for four months, and Gators fans were like, oh, we suck at recruiting again, guys, because he didn't get commits at that point. Um, so I, I think that the expectations really got to him when we were talking about recruiting and what you had to do in Gainesville to develop this program, because this is still a program where the fan base is saying, this is an elite program. Florida's one of the blue bloods to them and, and all this. And Dan Mullen just was not willing to get there because even Dan Mullen's top classes that he had, a lot of the guys were ineligible. He'd go, oh yeah, we, we have a top 10 class. And then when you consider all the people that were ineligible, it's like, oh, we have a top 28 class. Like Dewan Black was this highly, highly touted defensive player that Dan Mullen brought in and everybody was incredibly excited for it. He was ineligible. He's in Gainesville now, but he had to go to JUCO for two years before he can get to Gainesville. So Dan Mullen would do this often where these kids would be ineligible or he he would just recruit for the ranking, not recruit for a good football player that's going to help him. Well, that sounds familiar. Uh, Butch Jones was a coach that not only would recruit for the ranking, but try to manipulate the ranking after he got a commitment. So I don't know if that was going on there, but uh, it, it makes me curious. As, as far as matchups, let's start when Tennessee has the ball. Well, let's start when Florida has the ball because you started with uh, Anthony Richardson. So uh, who were the other key players on uh, Tennessee? Florida's offense that Tennessee fans should be aware of. If they haven't seen Florida play so far this year, still early in the season, who should be cause for concern? 
you're you're keeping your eyes in that backfield with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. If you see two, if you see seven, they're home run hitters at the running back position. That's what they are. Uh, I think right now Trevor Etienne's got 60% of his yards come on long runs. I think Montreal Johnson's at about 50% of his yards come on long runs. So they're home run hitters in the backfield there, and, and that's what they've been doing. Uh, at receiver, you're not looking for many explosive plays. Florida's been working with wide receiver screens a lot for some reason. They don't really have very dynamic receivers right now, but they're committed to those screens, so good for them to stay committed to it. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's kind of rough right now on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive line looks better than it's looked in years specifically that right side of the offensive line right now with Austin Barber, who's filling in right now at right tackle for Michael Tarquin and Osiris Torrance at right guard and Kingsley Aguacun at center. They have been on fire right now. Left guard is the weak spot for the Florida Gators offensive line. And tight end looks like they're not only getting more tight ends involved, but that they're getting tight ends involved in the passing game more with Keon Zipper. So number nine looks like he's going to be involved in the passing game, had a solid game against South Florida, and I expect him to be a another good target for Anthony Richardson this week when, look, there's no simple way to put – or there's no nice way to put this. Anthony Richardson has struggled with his accuracy this year. That's just a fact. Throwing to your tight end over the middle of the field will help you get a little confidence there, and so I think that's what Keon Zipperer's role is going to be right now. Yep. Let's bring uh, Amanda LaFrada back in here. She had a camera adjustment. So uh, Amanda LaFrada joining us. I want to remind you that uh, Brandon's appearance brought to you in part by Honeybee Coffee. It's just great coffee. I can't say that enough. Order online, get the whole big bag, and you can grind it yourself. And you will love Honeybee Coffee locations in Knoxville to hang out. It is fantastic. So Amanda, we're kind of breaking down Florida's offense versus Tennessee's defense. If you want to take it from there, shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I have a cat, so she likes to mess with things. So I'm sorry. Um, no. So Anthony Richardson, I know you've talked a lot about him. I've never been high on Anthony Richardson. I think he's a freak athlete. I think he's, you know, good at, at running, figuring things out. But as far as it comes to being a quarterback, I don't think he's a very good quarterback. And I'm, you know, I know you cover Florida, and I'm sure you're, you know, probably a Florida fan. Clearly behind you. Um, so I can't remember the backup's name, but I know that Billy Napier was talking about the backup a little bit before the season started and gave, you know, some media members a little bit to be concerned about. How do you feel about the backup coming in? And do you think he'll take Anthony Richardson's job? Do you see him coming in for the Tennessee game at all? Amanda started a quarterback controversy in Gainesville. There you go, Brandon. No, it's been, it's been yeah, started. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. I actually got a text yesterday from uh, from Eric Kane, who's also a Vols guy, and he was like, hey, what, what's up with Florida Gators' backup quarterback? Because Vols fans were used to the backup coming in and all of a sudden playing a great game against them. Um, and I can tell you that the primary backup is Jack Miller the third. He is out injured right now. So – all, all the hype before the season, all the talk before the season, he's out injured right now. He's got a thumb injury on his throwing hand. Don't think he's going to be ready for this game. So uh, right now, Dave, you might like this one. Uh, the backup right now is Jalen Kitna, John Kitna's son. Uh, he, he is the backup quarterback of the Florida Gators. 
right now. Um, we have not seen him. There are There is no quarterback on the Florida Gators roster right now outside of Anthony Richardson and Jack Miller, who is injured, who has played in a college football game before. So this is an incredibly inexperienced group right now. Uh, Jalen Kidna, from what we've seen, confident quarterback. Obviously, he's very mechanically sound. His dad was an NFL quarterback, so so he's pretty uh, mechanically sound there. But we haven't seen him in-game. We've only seen him in practice. We've only seen his high school tape. He was a 2021 freshman, so we haven't seen anything from him yet. So it's one of those things where people can talk about, you know, should Anthony Richardson get benched? The answer is no. It's just as simple as that. You don't have a better option. I, I think that the better idea there is to kind of change the offense. To I've been saying, you know, if you need to do it, the change should be to go more option style. Don't go full option. Don't, don't be Navy out here. So go more option style and kind of get Anthony Richardson's legs involved more because he hasn't done that since the Utah game. I don't know if he's banged up. I know first drive of the Kentucky game, Anthony Richardson got hit in the leg when he handed the ball off, uh, got hit in the leg and came up a little hobbled, played the whole game, and Billy Napier, Anthony Richardson, I asked in the program, no injury, they said. Then you get to South Florida. He's not running a lot. He's not doing these explosive things that we've seen Anthony Richardson do. Again, after the game, Billy Napier, Anthony Richardson, I asked in the program, there's no injury. I don't know if I buy it. I don't know what the benefit is to saying there's no injury when he's not being the explosive playmaker that we know he is. Uh, but but I, I think that if you need to get his offense back on track, the change is not changing the quarterback. It's changing what you're asking your quarterback to do. Uh, I, I hope we don't see Jalen Kidna play. But um, if he does, he does. We'll, we'll see what he is. He's more of a pocket passing type. He's, he can, he's one of those quarterbacks where – He's, it's Alex Smith style. It's like, oh, he, he's not mobile, but if you abandon that space, he can pick up a quick chunk and get the first down. But, but he's not the kind of quarterback that we want to see replace Anthony Richardson, at least not yet. As I say, smash that subscribe button, like as well. Please share. We greatly appreciate that. Before we uh, flip sides and talk about how Florida – is able to defend Tennessee's offense. Brandon, again, uh, I I want you to share how we can follow your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's WNS underscore Brandon. You can find my written work with Whole Line Sports and GiantsCountryOfSI.com and Locked On Gators every day. Love it. All right, Brandon, let's flip the script. So other side of the ball. Um, Tennessee's offense is difficult to stop. You mentioned the option. It's kind of funny. I think this is the the modern day option, which is tempo, 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 which makes up for shortcomings on rosters. But it keeps you in games. So it's really difficult to prepare for. How does Florida stop Tennessee's offense, which has, has looked mostly unstoppable? The pit game was touch and go, but – how do, how do they stop Tennessee's offense, which is one of the tops in the nation? I think the best chance at stopping this offense is, I mean, sorry to do this, but when you're on offense, run the ball a lot, Florida. But I think to use the actual defense to stop Tennessee, it's about just making Hendon Hooker think more than he wants to. Because Florida, 
I mean, Patrick Tony is a, an evil, mad scientist at defensive coordinator for the Florida Gators. He likes to throw the kitchen sink at you, but you never think it's the kitchen sink. He's always throwing different things at you. The point of uh, Patrick Tony's defense is never give the quarterback the same thing they see pre-snap, post-snap. You want to make them think and adjust to your coverages. And that's kind of what they've been doing. This defense is going to look very, very similar to Baylor, which I know it's the Big 12, but they've been dominating the Big 12 defensively. And that's kind of the same thing that you're going to see from this Florida Gators defense. I think it comes down to making Hendon Hooker make mistakes, which I know you spoke about earlier. He hasn't done much this year. I think he's got one turnover-worthy play, and it wasn't even picked off. Um, So I think that when you're looking at this Florida Gators defense, it's all about making Hendon Hooker work more than he wants to. Because uh, he's been very good. He's been lights out. But it's just about just a play or two where he makes a mistake that you have to try to capitalize. Yep. Very fair. So, Brandon, it's early in the week. Things could happen. But do you have a feel for this game? I think the point spread is, let's say it's at 10 and a half. I'm sure you could shop it around, but just so there's no pushes. Uh, at this point, who do you like to win? And spread-wise, not that we're gambling fiends. I'm not. I don't get into it at all. But give me an idea of, of what you think this game uh, ends up being. I, I think Tennessee is going to cover this spread. As much as I hate saying that, I really do. Um, I, I think Tennessee is going to cover the spread in this one. I think the Florida Gators offense is just too abysmal right now to really say – hey, they're, they're going to keep up with Tennessee's offense. I think the Florida Gators defense, I think they'll do a good job. I think it's a very talented defense. Uh, I think the secondary in Gainesville, incredibly talented. But at a certain point when you're going against an offense that's going to go tempo as much as Tennessee will, and they're going to try to score as often as they will, it's going to happen here and there, especially if you know Anthony Richardson's targeting defenders more than he's targeting his own players at certain points in the game. Uh, I think with as bad as the Florida Gators offense has been, it's incredibly difficult to go into this game with any sort of confidence. Again, we all know with Florida, Tennessee, anything can happen. Um, But I, I think just logically at this point in the week, you have to go Tennessee should win this game by double digits. So I'll take the 10 and a half. Uh, Ventro Miller, I forgot to ask about him. You, if, if I missed it, I apologize. But he left last week with, with an injury. If you get the same amount of injury information that we do in Knoxville, then it's pretty much zero. Um, do you have any insight as to whether or not he will play? Nope. Uh, Billy Napier and Josh Heupel are both steel traps with that kind of stuff. We, we don't even know what the injury is with Ventro Miller. We just know lower body. That's it. That's all we know. We just know lower body. Even if you look at the Florida Gators injury report, Jack Miller the third, it says upper body. We know it's his throwing hand and it's his thumb. But even then, it's just his upper body. That's how Billy Napier does it. Upper body, lower body. And then on Wednesdays, he'll put, if they're questionable, probable, what, what their status is. Um, but I don't expect Ventra Miller to play. I don't. He got, he got injured in the Kentucky game and almost immediately – uh, Billy Napier was like, he's not playing in South Florida. So I feel like if you're that quick to rule him out, you you know it's going to be a couple of week injury. That's just my feel of it. Again, this is complete guessing game, but uh, it's really fun to do that while also trying to prepare for this game is just trying to throw darts and see who's going to play. 
So if you're Scotty Pippen and you have a hand injury, as long as his arms are, is that a lower body injury? <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. That's that's a good question. I, I guess it depends. What if it's the wrist? That's yeah. Elbow would be different. All right, good good stuff again, Brandon. We appreciate the time. Are you coming to Knoxville? Nope, I will not be there. Okay, well, if, when you do, when you do, uh, I'll 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 hook you up. Uh, I'll let you decide what where you would like to go. So uh, we appreciate the time, Brandon. We will uh, look forward to the game. And those that want to check Brandon out, they can do so. Uh, his uh, uh, Twitter handle is on what we push out, so you can get updates on the Gators throughout the week. Brandon, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. And you know exactly where I would send him. It would be Zool Beer. That's Zool Beer Company, and it's in downtown Knoxville. Huge, great open space to hang out. If you want to have a craft beer and you've got plenty of selection as well, and they're worldwide award-winning beers. I've gotten much better at saying that. Cool Beer Company, the official craft beer of Off the Hook Sports. That's ZulBeer.com. All right, coming up, Caleb Calhoun, his thoughts on the Vols as they met with the media yesterday. Hang with me for two minutes and great Tennessee, Florida info coming up. Stay tuned. Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli South subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. This is Al's Disc Barbecue Supply, so come on in and see all the different rubs and sauces we have, plus a complete line of Green Mountain Grills. Don't be overwhelmed. We have plenty of help so you can produce the best barbecue in a maze for your family and friends. Barbecue is America's food, and we'll do what we can to bring you all the best products. We're Al's Nest Barbecue, where Chattanooga goes to grill. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasty's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasty Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. We do our research. Have you done your research? We're working like heck. Today's tough question. What's the real debate? You sipping my soup, Guadalupe? Exclusively on Off the Hook Sports with Dave Hooker and Amanda LaFrada. You drinking my sake, Kimosabi? Oh, my God. So today's tough question. 
Amanda deals with ESPN. What is today's tough question in college game day that will broadcast live from Ayers Hall? Funny how they used to broadcast live on the top of Calhoun's. Probably because at the time, Ayers Hall would – it's too esteemed to have something like that. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Nobody's ever told me that. But, but now it's so cool for it to be at Ayers Hall, and I guarantee you every ESPN personality is like, man, this is uh, one heck of a hike up to that place because I've done it countless yeah. I had incredible glutes in college. All right, uh, Amanda, <laughs> that's all we need. If you want a good rear – all you got to do is go to school in Tennessee. That should be a part of their pitch. It um, should be like 8.30 a.m. or 8 o'clock a.m. calculus class on the third story of Ayers Hall. When it didn't have air conditioning, that's what that. I had. Yeah, I, I remember that. I didn't have many classes at Ayers Hall. I had classes across the way a lot. I can't remember the name of that building. And then, of course, the College of Communications there at Circle Park. But uh, nevertheless, let's get to it. And we want your input on today's tough question. Today's tough question is right now, and it's brought to you by our friends at Owl's Nest Barbecue. Owl's Nest Barbecue has all the sauces. They have all the rubs. They have everything you need to absolutely have an incredible barbecue experience. And they've got those Green Mountain Grills, which I'm about to purchase one because they're simply awesome. I went with a bigger name before I got to know Owl's Nest Barbecue, and it was a complete fiasco and a disaster, this other grill that's supposed to be automated and all that stuff. I'm not going to say the name, but it didn't work. Thank you, Dan Patrick. All right, so Amanda, <laughs> tell us today's tough question. What do we got? So who should be the guest picker for College Game Day? Pretty simple. Guys, line them up. We want to get your votes in there. I know what mine is, and I feel very, very strongly about this. And it may not be possible. She may not be comfortable. She's a little bit older, so it would be quite a lot. And she's got a lot going on when when amusement park is your other thing. <laughs> you know that that that's that means you're a busy lady. Um, so I, w I would want it to be Dolly Parton. I can't imagine how effervescent and just bounce off the camera like Amanda LaFrada uh, she would be. And well, I didn't mean that bounce. I meant just great personality. and would Can't zoom in. Yeah. I think um, I, I, there's just there's, there's nobody in my mind but Dolly. And Ryan has already voted for Dolly as well. So we'll, we'll take your pick. But. Uh, Amanda, who else do you want to throw out there? I know Wes Rucker of 24-7 said Bill Dance. Uh, the, he, he's, he's the fisherman who always wears a Tennessee hat, and he's got his own fishing show and all this stuff. It's probably on YouTube now. It's probably streaming. And there is this one video that's absolutely hysterical where a snake falls out of a tree and lands on him and while he's fishing and he freaks out and falls yeah. in the water. But, okay, so I do want to include Bill Dance. And I will include Dolly Parton. And then I'm wide open. So message board, who do you want to see? We have one already for Tony Batello. Tony Batello is not a bad choice. Either. What about Peyton I don't know that he's, I mean, that would be incredible, obviously. But I don't know that he's approachable. I don't think Peyton likes doing media things unless he controls the media things. 
Yeah, but he already works for ESPN, so. Right. But in some ways, ESPN kind of works for him. It's kind of, it's almost like a partnership. You know, if that goes away, they're not going to just replace it with the Ryan Leaf cast. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's a stretch. <laughs> It's a big stretch. All right, so do you want to put Peyton Manning on there? I don't. We can put Peyton on there. So I have a, I have a sound reason for putting Peyton Manning. I don't know if anybody has looked or seen on Twitter Eli Manning going to Penn State and being, um, what was his name? He had long hair. They put him in makeup, and he went to Penn State and and like went to a walk on tryout and just as a quarterback, and it's hilarious. So my thing about, oh, it's Chad Powers. That was his name, Chad Powers. So my thing with Peyton is that him and, like, he and Eli always have this kind of, you know, I don't rivalry to speak. So if Eli's done something like that for ESPN where he goes undercover, I'm wondering if Peyton wants to do something where he goes on a show or he goes on something different. So I could see him going on college game day just to, just to, just to do it. I wonder if Tennessee fans would like that. So I definitely want him to be a part of it. So let's go. How about do you like Dolly, Bill Dance, Peyton Manning, Tony Vitello? You cool with that? As the, as I like the it. I do too. There are going to be some people that don't want Peyton Manning. If you can put yeah. comment below as well, because – I would like to hear those responses because there's going to be some people that don't want Peyton Manning there because he never beat Florida. So uh, that's, that's, that's understandable. Uh, David and, said, the you know, and the Manning curse, which I don't believe in, but is, but that, that is out there. David says, yeah, we all love Peyton, but he never beat Florida. Caleb Calhoun with fantastic coverage of the balls yesterday as Tennessee met with the media joins us from off the hook sports. Your hair looks fantastic. Caleb, don't worry. <laughs> All right, so okay. Caleb, you and I were both struck, and it just—I was really struck. When we both had the same notion when we got together on quick takes right after the press conference yesterday, and that was just Josh Apple seemed just cool as Cheech and Chong. Man, he was not phased by Florida Week. He was completely chill, and that's not been the case previously at Florida. Or no. Week. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I started to wonder. My theory yesterday was that his lack of SEC ties may have helped him because he's not as familiar with how intense this rivalry is. But, you know, at the same time, like, Butch Jones didn't have any SEC ties. And, oh, my gosh, he panicked for Florida. I mean, you watch 2015 and 2017 Florida games. It's like if you could make a top 15 list of what not to do coaching in a game, like – Nine of them would be from Butch Jones in just those two games alone. <laughs> so I agree. I think it was relaxed. Um, it reminded me, it was always funny. We talked last week about how tight Fulmer would be for Florida. And I think that definitely helped when the Fulmer Spurrier rivalry was going. That definitely helped Spurrier a lot more. But I think part of that was, I'm just going to be honest, Dave, I don't know, you, you covered them a lot more than I did back in those days. I don't think Spurrier was ever that like, committed to detail as a coach. I think he just liked calling the plays. I mean, I think there's a there's a rumor where in Washington one time he wanted to rush and hurry up practice so he could go golf. So, I mean, 
that's just how Spurrier was. Yeah, I think that he was in a position there where there was so much talent. And you have to remember, it was a totally different age of football. So just hopping on a plane and going on a recruiting trip wasn't doable for a lot of schools. And he had so much talent in his backyard, you could almost just roll out of bed and get a five-star. So he had so much talent on defense, and he was such an incredible play caller that, yeah, he was he was one of the few guys that was successful that would leave the office a little bit early and let the chips fall where they may. Anything else stand out to you about the press conference yesterday, Caleb? I know Hendon Hooker visited with the media. Uh, we talked to Jacob Warren early in the week. And anything else by the, the, the group that talked balls Florida yesterday from Tennessee's perspective? Well, we talked a little bit about you know hypo calling last year a turning point in the um in in, in the uh, it, for the program. Um, I think that you're right, Jacob Warren. Uh, we spoke Monday or Sun. You, you spoke with him Sunday. Florida game clearly means a lot to him in this game. Um, I think what we're really getting from the players is, I mean, they're really trying to they're trying hard to pretend that this is just the biggest game because it's the next game on the schedule. And they were all very coached to say that. And I mean, yes, that's the right mentality you're supposed to have in football. But I'm sorry, I, I, I don't believe they weren't looking at Florida last week when they were playing Akron. And I don't believe they're not looking totally circling Florida this week, particularly when they have a bye next week. So the idea that, oh, it's just the biggest game because it's the next one. Nah, come on. It's the, it's the biggest game for you guys for a lot of reasons. Agreed. I know Amanda's uh, wants to jump in here. Uh, Caleb's addition to the program brought to you in part by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. It's about integrity, 50 years in the North Knoxville area, servicing a 50-mile radius. That's City Heating and Air Conditioning. Amanda? So you are the Tennessee expert. You are um, like the, the one person that I want to go you know, people are giving me different opinions and views. I'm I'm calling Caleb. I need to know what Caleb thinks about this, you know, Tennessee question. So with that being said, we just talked to um, the Locked On 3 Florida, Brandon. We talked to him about Anthony Richardson and, and his impact or lack thereof on the game. How do you feel about that like what do you think Anthony Richardson's gonna bring or do you think that Tennessee's defense is just gonna decimate him? I mean I, I will say that I Dave and I were funny enough talking about this earlier in the week. I'm I'm a little I'm on the fence with Anthony Richardson in this way. Tennessee, as I said as I said last year, their linebackers were so awful in spy usually with quarterbacks. That's why Matt Corral ran for 195 yards on them, and Matt Corral didn't run for 195 yards. Bryce Young runs now. He didn't run last year, but he ran against Tennessee. And so they are awful in coverage. But what those two guys had that Anthony Richardson doesn't have is they want to throw from the pocket first, and they're deadly from the pocket. So even though Anthony Richardson is mobile – I, it, it's hard for me to look at, it's, it's hard for me to see him having the same impact because you don't really need to drop guys and spy with Anthony Richardson, I don't think. I think you can get pressure from around the edges and just make sure you have proper coverages and he's, you know, he's not really going to torch you from the pocket that much. So I, I don't think it's the same. I could see Tennessee's defense just absolutely torching him. But 
I mean, again, if Billy, a lot of this, I think, is on Billy Napier. I don't think Napier has used Richardson right the last couple of games compared to how he used him the first game. And that's a question on its own. Like, okay, I mean, I've repeated this, but how good of a coach is Billy Napier? It's, 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 it's a little weird that you go away from exactly what was successful for you in the first game. The well, apparently game. there might be an injury going on there with – with Anthony Richardson, even though he's listed as healthy, what Brandon just told us um, from Lockdown Florida is that he may have an injury because he he came up, I think he said hobbling in the Kentucky game, and then from then on hasn't ran hardly at all. So if that is the case, what do you do if you're Anthony Richardson and, and you're Florida? Like how how is that going to play out against Tennessee? Yeah, that actually would explain a lot if that's the case. Um, I uh, I don't know Florida's answer at that point. I, I think they could be in real, real trouble. Um, I say this. Tennessee has a very long-standing tradition of quarterbacks having their breakout game against them. Normally, it's backup quarterbacks. I, that's why when uh, Kadon Slovis went down with Pitt a couple weeks ago, I was – almost certain that whoever had come in was going to throw for 300 yards. This dates back to the 2001 SEC championship game when Rohan Davey went down and Matt Malt came in and John Chavis couldn't figure out how to stop the quarterback draw with the two best defensive tackles in college football that year. That is my, that's actually my fault because I went ahead and booked my flight at halftime when it was announced that Richardson, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, Rohan Davey and who was the tailback? LeBrandon Tofield. LeBrandon Tofield. Yeah, when it was announced, say uh, they they weren't coming uh, back for the second half in the press box, I went ahead and booked my flight to L.A. for the Rose Bowl. When uh, I also booked my hotel and had everything done, Tennessee was up fourteen zero, and that's why I don't gamble to this very day. <laughs> I, it is my fault. I oh my gosh, Dave, you caused that loss—the worst take, loss in Tennessee history. I take full responsibility for it. It was booked. Fortunately, Delta had a 24-hour cancellation policy, and that was, uh, oh, yeah, I was going to stay in Manhattan Beach for a week. I mean, it was going to be absolutely beautiful, and it's my fault. Yeah, and as a journalist, you had probably been like, at that time, you were probably sick of covering Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl in, in Orlando. They were going there every other year, and yes. you get to go to L.A. Yes, Orlando is very, very muggy. And uh, I tell you, the other place that's uh, uh, very overrated to cover a game is in Dallas. You wouldn't know it. You think of Dallas being a warmer city, but the thing is, it can be 78 degrees in December one day and 28 the next. And we were at SMU's campus, and the wind you felt like it was hitting your bones. It was so cold. But anyway, uh, I digress. I think there are two ways that, that Tennessee can lose this game, the two most likely ways. Number one is turnovers. We could say that about every game. But in particular, I want to go number two, gap integrity. I recall a recent game in, in which somebody, they were playing the Chiefs, and it was basically rush for, but they really weren't even rushing. They were just making sure that Patrick Mahomes stayed in front of them and didn't get past the line of scrimmage. Wasn't really even rushing the passer. If I'm Tennessee, that's the way I play Richardson. And I drop the other seven guys because if they don't have gap integrity and he's able to bust some runs, then suddenly a drive and a game can get flipped. 
I agree. And as good, I think largely Tennessee's done a pretty decent job on the defensive line this year and particularly closing the holes on the run game, but they haven't really had a situation. They haven't really faced a rush offense like this. Uh, I think Florida, Marshall Johnson, I think is averaging, isn't it almost 10 yards a carry? Um, it's something insane like that. We're not noticing it with Tennessee because there's been a lot of a solid pass rush, a lot of batted balls down. And they face three teams that, let's just face it, don't none of them run the ball that well. So I, I don't think we're getting – I don't think we've seen – any any signs of whether or not Tennessee is good or bad in stopping the run. This is going to be their first game to do that. And you're right. That's going to be key for the defensive tackles being in the right spots and, and closing the holes and things like that. And there were signs against Pitt that they were going to struggle with that. Amari Thomas played great against Pitt, but seemed to get out of position a couple of times. There was that long run Pitt had that was completely based on bad angles Tennessee took. Hey, I want to play a clip real quick that I thought was – really cool that I want to get your thoughts on Caleb because it's something you wrote about on offthehooksports.com and you think of the pit game and I think some fans thought oh Tennessee should just win that game that's a ranked team on the road that's the type of game that through Butch Jones and, and all those dudes uh, that they probably lose and it was very special to one young man and that was Tennessee center Cooper Mays here are his thoughts about the biggest win of his career, and I was surprised that he said it. High school, school or college? college. Uh, just this point. Um, I, I would say, I would say the pit game really, really meant a lot to me personally. I don't know if everybody else feels like that, but I, I really. It, ha it had a really special kind of impact on me because me being a Tennessee fan, you know, games like that, I feel like in the past have sometimes not really gone our way. And, you know, when it gets down, you know, into spots like that, sometimes it doesn't go our way. So just for us to kind of pull one out on the road against the big time opponent with, you know, a game that kind of went down to the wire, it was that that that's probably one of my favorite memories. With, with this topic? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I I think so. I think this would be a huge one. I, it, 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 would, it would be a quick, quick turnaround, turnaround to have a different favorite game. game but, <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. I think it would top it, and uh, no doubt about it. But did that surprise you? Because you wrote about it. The pit was – I really thought that there was a chance he might go back to even high school, certainly last year. Um, but he he went with the pit game. That was a gutty win. I think Tennessee takes more pride in that than maybe the fan base. Yeah, I, I think one that I would have thought he would have said, now he was hurt last year at times, and I can't remember the exact games he missed and played in, but I thought he played down the stretch most of the time. So I would have thought he would have said Kentucky last year because Kentucky on the road was really the first. Missouri was – it's funny, Heibel talked about the turning point against Florida last year after they lost. Missouri was the first game where you would say Tennessee kind of arrived and has a chance to exceed expectations. Kentucky was the game – that was the first real signature win of the Heupel era. And so I would have thought he would have said that. And But you're right, Pitt's a little bit different. I think Pitt, not just beating a top 25 team on the road, but knowing that, okay, you're going, say what you want, you're going to beat Akron and go into SEC play 3-0. and And it just, it, it opens up the doors of possibilities for the season. I want people to know ahead of time, 
I picked Tennessee to start the year 5-0. and I did not pick them to have a strong finish to the season, but I said the way things were laying out, I said back in January that, that the chips were falling in place for them to have a 5-0 and start, and I'm sticking with that. And I think the toughest team for them was going to be Pitt, and I think they knew that. And so the possibilities that opened up because of them beating Pitt had to feel great if you were playing for them. Man, that's going to hop in there. Craft Treats has the treats that will make your pet feel better, whether it's the anxiety of uh, loud noises around the holidays or a family in town, whether it's car ride anxiety, whatever the case may be. Uh, you got to go to Craft Treats and they'll take care of you. And also with my dog, it's more arthritis. He's getting a little bit older. So we certainly are a big fan of Craft Treats. Amanda? Yeah, my dog especially loves craft treats. Like whenever I take her somewhere, she hates loud noises. So you give her one of those and she's good to go. Um, let's, let's circle back to, I hate that term. I hate that phrase. But let's circle back to the Tennessee-Florida uh, matchup. And I know you've covered this extensively, but for those of, you know, those people listening or watching that haven't heard what you've said about it, can you give us just a, General, what are you expecting out of this game for the Vols? Like, how do you expect them to perform? And maybe, maybe, a, maybe a score, maybe a spread. Do they cover? Do they not? Well, we're gonna have Caleb on uh, later. Like, don't don't give that away yet, Caleb. <laughs> All right, so I'll hold back on the spread. Tell us where you're leaning. You can tease us a bit. Okay, so I. I have certain rules with myself. I will say this. Good. We all should. Which is one of them is I won't say never pick that. I won't say never pick Kentucky to beat Tennessee or never pick Tennessee to beat Florida. I will say almost never pick Kentucky to cover against Tennessee or Tennessee to cover against Florida. I think that those are some rules that kind of apply. I will also say, Amanda, congratulations on going three and one on your locks this past weekend. Thank you. I'm a little here, mixed. Oh, wait, wait. And here comes the trash talking part. But anyway, I know where, no, you're, no, going. No, no. I know my, where my, you're going. My gambling picks were actually great this weekend. I was 17, 8, and 1 at the college level. I started 8 and 0. My problem is my locks, like the three I was most sure of, I was only one of three. I got the Auburn Penn State game. I, I went, I went, I called last night's NFL game a lock and I said the Titans would cover. Boy, did I get that one wrong. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone did. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I didn't know they'd be putting a rookie cornerback on Stefan Diggs. And, and then I, I thought Tennessee would not cover against Akron and they did. So overall good gambling picks, bad on my locks. Um, but yeah, I, I don't ever, ever believe in picking Given the last 15 years, it's really hard for me to pick Tennessee to cover against Florida. And it was understandable from like the 05 to 2010 range because that was the Tebow years, the Urban Meyer years. But like since 2010, there have been plenty of times where Tennessee was as good as or or probably better than Florida. And I would say from 2013 to 2017, the Vols had a better team every year and they they won one of those games, which was just... It's like they were inventing ways to lose to Florida. And so because of that stretch, I've just gotten on the whole, yeah, 
I've always been I I actually have almost been never picked Kentucky to beat Tennessee, and I'm almost at the never pick Tennessee to beat Florida. But I'll just say on spreads, yeah, I'm never picking Tennessee versus Florida on a spread or Kentucky versus Tennessee on the spread. <laughs> take take emotion out of it, Caleb. Take take emotion out of it. I do this all the time. There's a reason I will not bet with my heart, so I never bet uh, certain teams. But let's take emotion out of it. If you're looking at this objectively and take also the back history, take all of the all of the stuff that's happened over the last 15 years, pretend like you just started this season with Tennessee and Florida. What do you think? What do you, what would you expect from this game if you're Tennessee? Okay, if um so just just so people know, it's actually not necessarily emotion because Alabama Auburn. I always pick Auburn to cover when they're playing Alabama in Auburn. That's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, as you should, as you right, should. right. Um, I think if I were to ignore history, um, I would say that. Gosh, if I were to ignore history, I would actually have Tennessee covering the ten point spread. I'd have him covering it by two touchdowns. I mean, I just <laughs> I could see a blowout in Tennessee's favor. Only because if Anthony Richardson is banged up and that running game is taken away, oh, he's going to get torched in the backfield by Byron Young and Tyler Barron. And I, I just – I don't see – you're like, Dave, what you talked about earlier, I think the biggest one would be turnovers. I think – Hinton Hooker has three interceptions in his career at Tennessee, and he hasn't thrown one this year. That's phenomenal. That is, just to, just to sit back and think about that. I mean – Especially we're talking about a guy who has some accuracy issues. I mean, Caleb, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. It's insane. And so this guy has three interceptions only in his career. Hasn't thrown one this year. And Jalen Wright seems to have worked out his fumbling issues. Um, a lot of that probably had to do with him missing camp early, early in fall camp. He's back in a rhythm now. So, again, it would be hard to pick – It'd be hard to pick Florida to have any chance in this game. Um, but, again, I'm, that's ignoring history. Then I'm bringing history back in, and I said the same thing in 2017. Tennessee was playing Florida in 2017, and I, Florida had, like, 10 guys out. And I'm like, there. I didn't even think Tennessee was that good that year. I just didn't see how they lost to Florida, and they lost to Florida. But that was Butch Jones' head coach. But then again, Jim McElwain was on the other side. That was, like – two of the most incompetent coaches that you could ever see in the middle of a game. Yeah. And, and then there was a shark, but anyway. That oh was, yes. Oh God. <laughs> that wasn't really Jim McElwain nude with a shark. Was it? Eh, who knows? Uh, so uh, let me give you the, any of the injuries that Josh Hopple's not going to talk about. So I'm not going to ask you for an injury update, but the most significant of those uh, would be, and just kind of list off these four, so you have Tyler Barron, you have Jabari Small, you have Dylan Sampson, and you have Cedric Tillman. So rank those in terms of if they were out or hampered, who would have the which absence would have the, the biggest impact on this game? And let's be clear, I think all four are going to play, but who, who does Tennessee need most out of that? Uh, of the four, I'm going to say Jabari Small. And I'm going to say that because Jabari Small is the one power back, they, the one back who could play the role of a power back on this roster. Jalen Wright played it last week when Small went out. He played it against Akron. I think what people forgot about the pit game 
they looked at Small's numbers and you know, only 10 carries for 17 yards. He had a one-yard third and one conversion, and he had two one-yard touchdown runs. And anybody who watched Tennessee last year knew that they didn't convert those plays. And Small picked up 15 pounds in the offseason. So I think that Jabari Small – and, you know, I know college football changed. I know the game has changed. I know the schemes have changed. I still think in SEC play, this is going to sound so old school and so cliche, and I hate to do this, but I still think in SEC play, the line of scrimmage matters on short yardage plays. And I think that Jabari Small is the guy that can get you those conversions. And without him, that'll be crucial. I think Dylan Sampson is probably the loss they can sustain the most, mainly because they have Jalen Wright. Um, and I think that Cedric Tillman would obviously be the second biggest loss. But with the with the way Brew McCoy has played, I still believe that Ramel Keaton has a lot of talent. I think there is a lot of depth there. And then Tyler Barron, if he's lost, you still got Byron Young on the other side. Roman Harrison can fill in for Tyler Barron. There's some options there on defense. I'm I'm a little – well, I'm not surprised, but some might be. Uh, Cedric Tillman is the most talented player of that quattro. Why did you choose your order and Cedric Tillman wasn't number one? So this wasn't based on – it was partially based on who's more talented and who's a bigger mm-hmm. weapon, but it's also based on the depth. And I think Tennessee has a collection. I, I think Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton together could handle the wideout spots. And I think there's still Jalen Hyatt in the slot. And I think that's why Cedric Tillman, as big of a deal as he is, is not as crucial of a loss. Similar to how, I mean, I said this, if I were to do my top 10 impact players for Tennessee, i we, we interview Cooper Mays a lot. I probably wouldn't have Cooper, you know, Cooper Mays maybe top 10, but I don't know if I'd have him top three or top four, but he's in the top four of players the Vols can't afford to lose. I might have Cooper Mays number one because I still don't think Tennessee has a center behind Cooper Mays. And so, now, I, I, you could make a real argument, and I'm not saying this because he works with uh, Off the Hook Sports. I, I'm, I'm saying this straight up. You could make a strong argument that he's the second most important player on the team behind Hendon Hooker. Yeah, exactly. Because if he goes down, who steps into that role? Supply and when, demand. Exactly. And when you play out of the shotgun as much as Tennessee does, the center is much more crucial in that because of the possibility of low snaps and bad snaps. Yep. And, yeah. and he handles all of the line calls, which – there are times where he handles as much as what Tennessee does up front as Hendon Hooker does. And that's not coming from him. He didn't tell me that uh, off the air, but that that is absolutely a fact. So, uh, oh, do want to ask you today's tough question. And today's tough question is what, Amanda? As um, So college game day is coming. Who do you want to see as college game day's guest picker for Tennessee? And we have four options. <clears throat> you have Dolly Parton. Peyton Manning, Bill Dance, and Tony Vitello. Of those, I would. Uh, of those, I'd go Dolly, just because I think it'd be awesome if she were on. <laughs> I'm going, guys, and I'm sorry. I'm still a fan, and she lives in Tennessee. I'm going Taylor Swift. So. Oh, oh my god, gosh. no! <laughs> oh my gosh! No. I don't think Taylor she knows Swift what a, right here. I like Taylor Swift too. I like her music. Well, her old anyway. She probably doesn't even know what a football looks like, if we're being honest. No offense probably to not, but she'd still be great. Okay, well, she would probably like, I don't know. What are their colors? 
<laughs> I have one more question to ask you, Caleb. Who's the most impressive Tennessee player you've seen so far this season? That's it. Ooh, the most impressive Tennessee player I've seen so far. Who's this impressed season. you the most? Right, right. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say Hendon Hooker, <laughs> but he actually has him because he's missed a few throws here and there. Um, that wow, that that really kind of put me on the spot for a second. Um, no, 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 it, it, it's okay. Um, I would probably go with. Amari Thomas at defensive tackle. Okay. Um, I thought that he was he was given the huge monumental task of replacing Matt, of taking on the role that Matthew Butler kind of left. And I thought he made a like I said he made a couple of mistakes against Pitt, but for the most part he's been it's underrated some of the stuff he's done for Tennessee. He had didn't he have was it two pass deflections against Pitt? I think it was two. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, I, you know, who I'm going to go with, and this this is me falling back on the old eye test thing. Is Rue McCoy? I just look at him physically, and I know he had a, a couple of penalties. I thought both were bad calls, so take that into consideration. But physically, he looks like an elite, elite talent. Like Cedric Tillman looks really, really, really good. Rue McCoy eye test again, which gets me in trouble. Looks to me like he eats a top half of the first round top of pick one day in the NFL. I may be wrong, um, but just eye test, that's 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 what I see. And that's and he hasn't done much statistically, so that's a little out of left field. But just eye test, I've been, I've been pretty blown away by him. Okay, do more this week if Cedric Tillman doesn't play, so watch out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might be the go to guy, so. Uh, Caleb, we got stuff cooking. Uh, we will have uh, coverage of Tennessee's press conference on Off the Hook Sports. So certainly appreciate that, Caleb. We want to make sure that people like, subscribe, and share so that we can be a part of your Tennessee and SEC sports coverage. Caleb, great job as always. We will talk to you soon and have a fantastic day. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, guys. Thank you, Caleb. He's Caleb Calhoun. You can follow him on Twitter at Caleb Calhoun. And she is Amanda LaFrada. They are Pedigo of Chattanooga, locally owned store where you'll be treated like family, the region's foremost electric bike experts. They absolutely put their hearts in helping find you the perfect electric bike and get the most out of it for many years to come. They have a service department. So if you're just messing around and you order one of these uh, electric bikes online from another group, then you're not going to find anybody to work on it. Uh, That's the thing about Pedigo. It's quality and it is uh, locally owned in Chattanooga. Coming up, we will have a little bit of message board bingo. Also this day in sports history. Uh, She's Amanda LaFrada. I'm Dave Hooker. Stick with me. Two minutes, and we'll have more Tennessee-Florida coverage. Did I mention it's Florida week? Folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want 
We need and we appreciate your business. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. This is Steve Rain. I own the Midnight Oil and Michelin Tire Direct service station here in Ottawa. It's not a fancy place, never has been. But it's a clean place with clean restrooms and good folks who work here. We sell gas, fix cars, nothing glamorous, but we love what we do, and we're going to keep doing it for a long time to come. There's not many real service stations left, and that's a shame. We're the guys just like the guys back in your hometown. We'll fix your tire, change your oil, and put a new set of Michelins on your car. If you want a Twinkie, you'll just have to keep on going. Thanks for the business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Welcome back. She is Amanda LaFlada. I am Dave Hooker as we are uh, off and rolling and ready to get to some uh, message board bingo and also our SEC power rankings that we do each and every Tuesday. So let's get that rolling. Go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button, share as well. The SEC power rankings today are brought to you our friends at Biles Automotive Group. It's about integrity right there on Callahan, Biles Automotive Group. So we start at the top, Alabama or Georgia. Still think we Alabama's a, a bit of an unknown and what their ceiling is. I would have to go Georgia based off what's happened to this point. Who would you have at number one, Amanda? I'm going to go Georgia. I have to eat, eat my words. Um, they look I thought maybe they wouldn't be as good this season because their defense, they lost so many people. They're, I mean, by far, eye test-wise, they are the best team in college football. I don't think it's even close. Unfortunately, so I, think we I can't stand the fans. But. I would have Georgia uh, one, Alabama two. And then that's where it gets really interesting because it does involve – uh, Tennessee. So I think that explosive offense, the excitement around the program makes Tennessee a natural at number three. But are they really the third best team in the SEC? Amanda, where would you have them? Third. I think they are the third best team in the SEC. They're more, they're the way they play and their victories are more impressive than anybody else in the SEC. And that, I mean, I hate to, to say it. But that's including Alabama at this point. Yeah, I, w I would have Tennessee third, too. I know it's status quo, and that's no fun. Maybe I'm supposed to hot take it like Stephen A. Smith, who can't box, by the way. A, a, a video went viral of him trying to box, and he can't throw hands, period. But I'm not going to go there. Shocking. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, Everybody's <laughs> shocked by that. It's not a jab when you like punch down. It's really, it was really odd. But I saw that Bill Burr making my name this morning. Nevertheless, uh, I have uh, Tennessee at number three. Um, I have Kentucky at number four. Amanda, who do you have at number four? I mean, it's going to be pretty boring because we have the same people at number four. I mean, Kentucky after you know the the. I mean, the, the beat down that they put on Florida, and it wasn't necessarily a score beat down. It was just watching them play. It was just Florida could not do anything concerning Kentucky. So with that being said, I just feel like Kentucky is the fourth. I still think Tennessee is better than Kentucky, which is why I put them at third. But fourth is definitely where they would fit. After that, as far as undefeated teams, and you don't have to pick an undefeated team, somebody that lost against a great opponent as the season goes on, you can put them where you wish. But after that, talking about undefeated teams, that would be Ole Miss and Arkansas. Who would you have as the number five team? Arkansas. I would too. And I thought you were going to say Ole Miss. No, I would have Arkansas, even though they barely – I think what they went by 11. So it wasn't really a barely, but they were, I mean, nothing tra- for a long time. They were trailing in the third quarter to Missouri yeah. State. But people don't realize is that the head coach of Missouri State was their former head coach who crashed his motorcycle with the go ahead. So. Yeah, Bobby Petrino. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Arkansas at number five as well. And I go with them over Ole Miss. Ole Miss looked good with a 42-0 win over Georgia Tech. But, you know, Georgia Tech is a program in disarray right now, and they might be looking for a new head coach. You wonder how hard those guys are playing. So I don't put a lot into that. It gets interesting when we get to the teams with one loss, which would be Texas A&M, LSU, Mississippi State, uh, Florida, well, we don't have to worry about Vanderbilt or Auburn or Mizzou. Um, but who would you have? Uh, we would be at the seventh spot. Seventh best team in the SEC is whom? Um, I'm going to say Texas A&M. I think that they have fixed their quarterback situation. It, I mean, even if it's just like a Band-Aid right now, it's much better than what they had before. Um, they looked Strong against Miami. They did not look strong against Sam Houston State. They did not look strong against App State. So they come out against Miami, and and they they didn't look great, but they looked better than they have. And I think that they're better than anybody else that's left on that list, honestly. I'm going to go LSU because of the way they bounced back from that disastrous upset loss early on and I I think that that team although it has had a dip in talent for LSU standards I think bouncing back and beating state the way they did Mississippi State was pretty darn impressive so I'll go with LSU just barely but you could probably talk me out of it um, Texas A&M would be right there as my seventh best team then you kind of just get to the rest which would be state Florida, and I would have them in kind of that next tier as people start to separate themselves. And I would have, yeah, I'm I'm not going to overlook a significant win uh, against Utah State. Was it Utah State? Utah Utah. Utah, excuse me. Um, 
So I'm not going to overlook that. So even though they lost to Kentucky, I will take uh, Florida uh, just over Mississippi State. And uh, then, then kind of the the uh, rest of the conference is just the rest of the conference. I mean, you, you look at uh, Mizzou, Auburn, Vanderbilt, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to do much. So in, in the end, I would have – uh, and you, you tell me when you, you have told me, but uh, just going all the way through the ones that matter, Georgia, number one, Alabama, number two, Tennessee, number three. Mm-hmm. I would have Florida, number four. I would have Arkansas, number five. Kentucky. Uh, did I miss Kentucky? Yeah, you put Florida at number four. I'm sorry, Kentucky at number four. Kentucky at number four, excuse me. So, I, and then I would have, um, I would have Arkansas, at number five, number six, I would I would actually have LSU and AM over Ole Miss. I just put nothing in that win that Lane was able to get that that Georgia Tech. I just that that does that just doesn't do a lot for me. I mean I Georgia Tech is that bad. I mean Georgia Tech yeah. is just that bad. Not impressive win just because Georgia Tech is that bad. Yeah, so just go ahead and take me through your top eight, nine, ten, where you would have them ranked. And if, if you look at who Ole Miss has played, um, they of course beat Troy, but it was just twenty-eight to ten. Um, yeah, and the, they beat Central Arkansas fifty-nine to three, and they beat Georgia Tech forty-two zip. And they're going to play Tulsa uh, this week. I, well, we're not going to know who Ole Miss is until they play Kentucky. So if you want to run down your, your top list of the power rankings um, on uh, off the Oak sports, what would you have? So I'd have Georgia one, Alabama. I actually have Alabama and Tennessee tied at two. And, you know, I hate that. Like, I don't, that's not, you know, no bias. Alabama just has not looked great this season. They just, a lot of sloppy play, a lot of stuff that, you know, Alabama is not really used to a lot, some concerns there. I think they'll back, they'll bounce back. They'll be fine. But at this moment, just going off eye test, I'd have Alabama and Tennessee tied at two, just Tennessee's victory over Pitt. I felt was, was much more um, impressive than Alabama's victory over Texas. Continuing on after that, I'd have Kentucky, at four, I would have Arkansas at five. I think you're right. I would put Texas A&M above Ole Miss. I wouldn't put LSU above Ole Miss. I'm not entirely sold on LSU yet. So I would have, like I said, Kentucky at five, at Arkansas at six, seven would go Texas A&M, eight Ole Miss, nine LSU, and this is going to surprise people. I would put, literally, I would have Vandy at 10. As sad as that is. Uh, whew, it's good It's good not to be those things. Yeah, because you have Auburn who looked like absolute dog mess. South Carolina, I don't know what's going on there, but dear Lord, something's happening. Because this is the worst I've ever seen South Carolina look. I'll yeah. probably put Florida at 10, sorry. And I, then Fandy. Sorry, I, I told you in the offseason, they, their roster is not very good. 
Um, that, you know, even just that it's there. It's coaching. It's coaching. What is happening? It's the Jimmy's and Joe's telling you. It's the, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's, and they just do not have them. Um, uh, this day in sports history coming up, but first it's time for message board bingo, where Amanda will read off a message board post. I'll try to tell you which school it uh, originated from, and if I'm correct, then uh, well, I win a hooker t-shirt. But if you're correct, you win a hooker t-shirt because I got all of them anyway. So I might as well give them away. All right, so let's go to message board bingo now as uh, your opportunity. I'm going to give you some time to uh, throw out a guess. Somebody's saying just momentarily, sorry, I joined late and started at the beginning, but I had math in Ayers Hall without air conditioning back in the day. Man, it bleeped. Uh, <laughs> maybe it was the same. Maybe we took the same class because I had calculus in Ayers Hall. He said he, had, he said he had algebra. Maybe all dated back in the day. Who knows? I know. I, I remember people I dated. They dated. But you don't know who he is, though. I don't know who, who uh, Jalad is. Nobody. I used... never dated anybody on YouTube. Had... No, like I've never dated anyone. I took class with. Okay, fair enough. Sounds mm -hmm. like a some sort of interesting. Uh, transition but message board bingo is now so if if you want to win a hooker t-shirt all you have to do is post on there who the poster is on what board message board bingo is now who doesn't love being mocked teenagers slash players love it not this appears completely embarrassing based on these videos but the game day insults would be negated in large part if we just added women to the sidelines for the TV cameras to have women to show the world rather than only men dressed funny. I got no idea. I don't understand how it would possibly. Who's out there on, on the message board that wants to win a T-shirt? Go ahead and post because I'm stumped. Re read it again one more time. All right. Who doesn't love being mocked? Teenagers, players love it, not. This appears completely embarrassing based on these videos, but the game day insults would be negated in large part if we just added women to the sidelines for the TV cameras to have women show the world rather than only men dressed funny. <clears throat> I got nothing. No one has anything on that? No, it's the most unidentifying comment that I could ever imagine. It's very identifying. It's Texas A&M. Okay. So Texas. They have yell leaders. They have dudes everywhere. Oh, okay. They're the ones that went completely viral with all of their like embarrassing videos. Right, well, I mean, all right. Well, Tennessee's got the uh, Daniel Boone cat that runs around that was a really big fat guy when I was at in school, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I used to I yell. They have, I don't think AM has cheerleaders either. You know, surely they have cheerleaders. I don't think so. I think they just have yell leaders that are dudes. Okay, well that's weird. Uh all right. So let's let's, let's do another one of these because that you really that was difficult. All right, here we go. Message board bingo. Oh, that's the wrong one. All right, message board bingo. All right. Let me see. 
I want, oh, go get Lane. He could fix us pretty quick with Portal and we'll recruit better here. Plus he's hilarious. So there's that. These are all SEC schools. Yeah, I know who this is, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to give everybody on the message board a second. Did you see it or something? No, I just feel confident I know who this is. So you get three seconds before I tell you who it is. No, that's not. I don't think it, I'm going to go with Auburn. It's Auburn. Yeah, that'd be a be a really interesting hire. That would be Tupperville Part Two going from Ole Miss to Auburn. That'd be pretty wild. Um, Tommy Tuberville, by the way, one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. I know he's a senator now or something. I know nothing about his politics because I don't do that, and I certainly don't share my politics even than I do have. But that's a pretty cool career. Like, I look at Heath Shuler the same way, and I think, hey, to be a star football player and then go on to get into politics, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, now, I'm just really impressed. Like, whoever he ran against, the other guy must have been terrible. So that you have an, the entire state of Alabama vote for a former Auburn head coach. Well, I, I, I read that way back when, when he ran, that uh, he had a significant amount of money behind him. And let's face it, when you're one of those guys – um, and you have a face that people recognize that people put money behind you. And as long as you don't just fly in the face of what those other people believe. I mean, I'm looking at his website right now. It says Coach Tommy Tuberville, U.S. Senator for Alabama. So you, you have a face. And I understand that it's Alabama and Auburn. I, I get that. But uh, you call him the coach, you put money behind him. He has great financial backing and suddenly boom, before you know it, he's, he's a Senator. You can sign up for his uh, newsletter. If you want to go to his site, you will not find me on that. Uh, this day in uh, sports history. Oh, are we done? With yes. yes. Board bingo? Uh, okay. yeah. Do you, you want to do one more? We can do no, it. No, we can be done. That's fine. I'll go ahead and do another one. Here we go. I got the All bed right. for you. I don't want the school in trouble as the next guy, but enough is enough. Kiffin would absolutely kill the portal recruiting and make recruiting on the trail serviceable. The guy is going to have back-to-back 10-plus win seasons at Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole Miss doesn't play anybody. I'm, I'm going to give three seconds for this one because I feel like I know who this is too. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas A&M. It's Florida. Florida. It's Florida. Per sources that I wrote on offthooksports.com last week, he, he did he have strong interest in that job. Also was told that he reached out about the LSU job before Ed Orgeron, his buddy, was even fired uh, via a source close to LSU. <laughs> He's going going after his job before he was even fired. I still remember that um, – interview i think it was uh saturday uh, when they were at lsu or they were I, I can't remember the circumstances around it and and ed orgeron while lsu's house is burning around him was happy and everything was golden and amanda i remember thinking he knows something we don't well it was the fact that he already had a huge buyout and he was content with it 
uh, hit that like and subscribe button so that we can be a part of your Tennessee and SEC coverage. Also, share as well. We greatly appreciate that. And it is time for this day in sports history where I'm really going to show my age now. This day in sports history is brought to you by Big Orange Phillies. Big Orange Phillies is a great place to watch any game or the game, the Tennessee-Florida game this weekend. And, you know, things can get rowdy uh, at a Tennessee-Florida viewing session, but you know that it's family-friendly there at Big Orange Phillies. It's right there in North Knoxville. It's easy to get to from Maynardville, easy to get to from Powell, Carnes, whatever, and it's worth it because the food's fantastic. They've got billiards, darts, and the whole nine yards. Karaoke as well. So it is time for this day in sports history. This day in sports history. Putting things in perspective exclusively on Off the Hook Sports with Dave Hooker. You're so old when you were a kid, rainbows were black and white. And Amanda Labrada. New kids on the block just called. They wanted you as a backup dancer. Red Arbach, born this day in sports history. If you don't know who that is, he built the Celtics of the 60s, in which they won 10 championships. Read his a book about him. He would have been a huge fan of the transfer portal. He basically broke every single modicum of gentlemanship to build the Boston Celtics into the greatest program ever. And or the 60s, uh, the, the greatest franchise. And at the time, there were no rules about going out and getting players. So he would sneak around and get players. He would pay players more. It was free agency before free agency even existed. He pulled off all kinds of goofy trades and he, he stayed associated with the, uh, the Celtics for a number of years. But I always thought the, the funniest thing, he was born in 1917. Passed away in 2006. I always thought it was funny that he was the vice president of the Celtics. And if, if you ever watched a Celtics game and you, you would notice something different compared to other games there in the 2000s. And that was you had the cheerleaders, you had the jumping around and everything. And you had the music, dun, 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 you know, and all that production. He said, none of that. As long as I'm associated with the Celtics, when I when I die, you can do all that. Then he died and they did all that. But it was like a part of him being associated still with the franchise that they couldn't do anything. It was quiet at times. It was like a cathedral. And he always said it's about the basketball, which, oh my goodness, anybody that's seen shots of Neyland Stadium or been there, you know it's more about the sport now. You have to have that whole package, at least I think you do. Um, I mean, even Alabama, as dominant as they are, has a laser light show. So, I guess to pull in fans, you get you got to bring all that and bring the noise. But that was not what Red Arbach was all about. This day in sports history brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. She's Amanda LaFrada. I'm Dave Hooker. Off the hooksports.com for Tennessee coverage. You will love it. It is right there. And go to our YouTube channel. Hit that like, subscribe, and share button. And we've got. Uh, interviews with former balls got all kinds of great stuff so check it out she's a man amanda lafrada i'm dave hooker this has been a presentation of off those sports